What's up, everybody? My name is Dominic Sakira, and you're listening to Actionable Impact, a podcast that answers questions about impact investing and provides investors, entrepreneurs, and everyone else in the finance community with actionable insights to better navigate the sea of opinions, products, and services offered in sustainable and impact investing. My guest today is Diana Turuilia, Asteria's Head of Legal and Compliance. Diana's background combines both legal and financial experience. She has been in the legal field for over 10 years with experiences in asset management and general finance. As a member of the Paris Bar, Diana joined Asteria from Paris, where she worked as a capital markets lawyer, advising issuers such as banks, listed corporates, and public institutions, but also dealers and arrangers in relation to debt securities and structured finance. Diana and I will be looking at the regulation framework in sustainable and impact investing, answering some of the main questions institutional investors have in regards to SFDR and EU's sustainable finance strategy in general. We'll check out the current regulatory landscape in order to understand who and what is affected. And finally, we're going to identify the key advantages of moving early for institutional investors and also cover some of the easy steps that investors can take. Hello, Diana. How are you? Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. You, you're doing well? Everything going okay? Hi, Dominique. Thanks for having me and taking the time. All good. Thanks. How are Super. you? Yeah, all good. Thanks. A lot going on at the moment. Uh, obviously, you know exactly what we're working on. Um, busy, busy. Um, the move to impact never stops and keeps us from sleeping, doesn't it? Indeed. <laughs> so... Thanks a lot again for, for taking the time and, and joining us on, on the podcast. Um, as you know, um, this is kind of a format to help help investors and the investor community um, with all questions in and around impact and sustainable investing. And, you know, given your role at Asteria, I wanted to have a chat a little bit about some of the key things that investors are going to be faced with on the regulatory side and maybe also talk about some of the things that they can do early on um, to make life a little bit easier down the line, and, and perhaps also look at some of the opportunities that this uh, these new regulations and obviously impact um, can create. So so yeah, thanks for, for taking the time. The, the main question that a lot of investors, um, mainly institutional investors, ask me around the regulation is kind of, you know, what should they do first? Um, which kind of regulatory framework is out there and, and which one will become the most relevant to them um, the fastest? So given that I speak to a lot of Swiss institutions, um, you know, it's not much relevant. Nobody says anymore, oh, it's I'm, I'm a Swiss institution. I don't need to care about the EU. So can you maybe tell us a little bit about the the EU landscape of, of regulation that's out there um, in terms of impact and sustainability and, and what's coming, that would be, be great. Sure. Um, it might be uh, surprising for Swiss investors to have a look at the European regulation, but yet this is already uh, applicable and there's uh, the, the whole framework, framework of EU regulation applicable to uh, 
sustainable investment that needs to be considered here. So basically, we have two cornerstones of the EU's sustainable finance uh, strategy, which are the SFDR regulation that everybody knows by now. That's what everyone's um, talking about. Exactly. Uh, which aims to provide more transparency on sustainability within the financial markets and, uh, of course, prevent greenwashing and ensure comparability for investors when they are looking at investment products. So basically what we know um, is that SFDR sets three different categories that investment funds need to, um, to, to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the Article 6 that focuses on non-sustainable financial products. So basically, if you're an investment fund that is not pursuing any ESG or impact target, you need to include in your perspective that you're not um, a sustainable financial product. Then you have the Article 8 category, which is all focused on ESG, so the promotion of environmental and social characteristics, mm-hmm. no matter the, the economic sector. And you have, of course, the most regulated category is Article 9 investment funds, which focus on the positive impact at the level of the underlying company's activities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's much more about um, targeting a positive and concrete impact than looking at um, the behavior, the ESG um, part of of those companies. Mm -hmm. So basically, funds that elect under Article 9 are pursuing sustainable investment objectives and they also need to have all corporate governance rules in place and do not harm any other sustainable investment principles. Mm-hmm. So it requires intention and also measurement and this is um, what leads, what has led to the taxonomy regulation which is the second cornerstone. Mm-hmm. and completes the Article 9 requirements mm-hmm. by um, determining criteria of what are sustainable economic activities and what are not. Okay. So it applies to both financial and non-financial companies, mm-hmm. and those criteria are uh, made to enable the investor to have much more transparency on the underlying company's activities, and of course, again, avoid greenwashing. Okay. So this is the EU framework, legal framework, applying to sustainable finance mm-hmm. um, that Swiss actors, investors, or asset managers um, need to, to know, need to discover as well, because yeah. in the Swiss framework, you already have asset managers applying uh, this um, this EU framework because they might have investment funds located in the European um, zone mm-hmm. or they might have investors, European investors um, interested as well. So on a voluntary basis or non-voluntary basis, there are already asset managers in Switzerland um, applying and complying with this EU legal framework. You have also a strong uh, push from the Swiss authorities as well 
to apply in the from the in the time being um, and waiting for the Swiss regulation to develop and to be adjusted. And we believe it will, of course, follow the same uh, spirit and the same requirements as the EU legal framework. Yeah. yeah. But there's already um, a FINMA supervision of asset managers that are specialized in impact investing because they're already concerned by the potential risk of greenwashing. So now the question is, why would Swiss investors and especially institutional investors need to, um, to follow or to comply with this EU regulation? Just, just to be clear about it, the, the investors themselves have no legal obligation to, uh, to invest into that kind of sustainable products. Yeah. The, the whole legal unfortunately. setup, yeah. unfortunately, the whole legal setup and the requirements um, do apply to asset managers. So why would an institutional investor in Switzerland be interested in investing in, into such kind of products? Well, there's even there's no obli- obligation, there are certainly advantages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they do have the main one, and the main reason is that now they do have a legal framework and enough transparency that is offered by such a framework in order to compare and to really um, perform their due diligence on those investments and be able to really select carefully asset managers on one hand and specific investment funds focused on impact investing. Okay. Very interesting. So, would you would you consider, or I guess I mean it's it's more a question that gets asked from from the outside. You know, these categories it looks a lot like you have in a video game where you have easy, moderate, and then hard mode, right? So, would would you be comfortable saying that being an Article Nine asset manager? and having Article 9 registered and approved funds is kind of like playing in the master class when it comes to sustainability, impact, ESG, and so on. Um, is that kind of how, how investors could see it? Exactly. I mean, Article 9 category is for sure the most regulated one. That means that asset managers managing that kind of funds will need to provide full transparency, not only on the investment objective, but also on the performance of those funds and the alignment of the, of the portfolio with the, the impact investing strategy, mm-hmm. which implies that uh, such asset managers do report precisely on it and do have the, the tools and the required setup to measure the, the real impact performance of those underlying companies in order to uh, to provide transparency to their investors. So, of course, we're in a kind of product that, that is really most regulated and which the simple fact that they, they do follow an, an impact investment objective, they will for sure need to provide um, the, the full information and uh, measurements uh, to, to investors mm-hmm. 
for them to understand in what manner and how the underlying companies in the portfolio are meeting those targets and those objectives. Yeah, right on. Okay. I mean, that's that's very valuable just to understand for an institutional investor that there's currently no, certainly no pressures um, or, or deadlines or anything like that pushing them in that direction. Other than, I guess, you have a little bit the the social and ethical um, pressures that are there, right? I mean, from what I understand, at least at least I've had the dialogue with, with my pension fund, both the the personal things that I, I can control, as well as the employment pension fund, where you do go and ask questions and you ask for transparency and encourage at least to move most of the assets towards impact. Um, but but it's it's nice to see at least that, that asset managers that there's at least some on some side there is a bit of pressure. So it's not on both. It's not on the asset owners, um, but the owners is definitely on the on the asset management side. And yeah, would you? There's there's this one big kind of question that gets asked a little bit is um, is maybe questioning the integrity of this whole framework. Um, so. As soon as these articles came into place, we saw a lot of funds, existing funds, declaring that they are Article 9. Um, and, and a lot of the questions that I receive is kind of, well, from what my investors gather is anyone can declare that they are Article 9. And I guess you, you derive from that that it might take some time until, until the maybe greenwashers or at least those funds which are simply declaring for the sake of being Article 9, um, that they get weeded out somewhat. So how does that process look? How long do you think it'll take for those funds that have pulled the trigger and said, ah, we're Article 9 as well, for those to essentially be held accountable and then be excluded from, from, that, um, from being able to say that? Well, you, you're right. There are some funds that uh, have already declared themselves as Article 9. Uh, what we need to remind here is that it's still a minority mm-hmm. of, of compared to the global amount of investment funds, for example, located in Luxembourg. Yeah. There's really a tiny part of them uh, that, re- that, that elected themselves under Article 9. Mm-hmm. But among those Article 9 funds, there is for sure a part of it, and this has been subject of a recent survey, uh, that are declared Article 9 without really having an, an, an impact uh, objective, impact yeah. investment objective. So what will happen? For the moment, the EU regulatory framework for Article 9 funds does not uh, set a minimum percentage of the global portfolio that needs to be really aligned with some of the investment objectives focused on impact. Okay. That is for sure something that will be discussed in the future. So we don't know what will happen, but it's not impossible that the European regulator at some point sets a minimum of alignment of a portfolio. Mm -hmm. This is the first thing. The second thing is that the taxonomy regulation, which will complete SFDR for those Article 9 funds and will bring the technical um, criteria and the technical requirements 
in terms of how does the reporting of those Article 9 funds need to look like mm -hmm. is not yet uh, complete, mm -hmm. is not yet effective. Uh, first reports will um, come into force in, in the next year, so mm -hmm. in January 2023. Mm -hmm. And we know already that some parts of taxonomy need to be finalized and that it will not apply uh, uh, globally in, in one shot in January 2023. OK. So basically, what Article 9 funds declare now has not been uh, concretely reported yet. Some asset managers do already issue impact reports, but it's not yet mandatory. Yeah. And those who have chosen to, to be Article 9 but do not have uh, the, the technical tools and do not have an asset management completely focused and honestly focused on yeah. impact objectives will definitely have a problem starting next year with reporting on those impact objectives yeah. and how the portfolio concretely aligns with the investment strategy. Very interesting. So I guess, you know, that's, that's the second question that I wanted to tackle with you today as well is maybe answering how institutional investors, asset owners can, um, can have an advantage um, and, and what are some of the kind of early steps they can take. You know, on the one side, I mentioned it before, there's these social and ethical pressures from, from their underlying clients, mm -hmm. the pensioners. Um, our generation, essentially, which is which is pushing them that way. So, so that would be something we could, if you could speak a little bit more to that, that pressure. And then the other side as well, I guess, you know, since you said the reporting framework, or at least the reporting kind of concept isn't fully 100% fixed yet. So there will still be some time until the weeding out of the impact illusion funds um, will happen. So I guess it's on, you know, I guess the responsibility is on the asset owner to do additional due diligence and to do their homework. Mm -hmm. um, so it would be interesting to find out what kind of questions, um, you know, an, an asset owner could ask or to do their homework to see. Um, but if you could go into depth onto those two, two points, that would be, that would be interesting. And then obviously add some of your suggestions that asset owners could do to get an advantage sure well you're right in talking about pressure i think that um, institutional investors particularly have a pressure well there that there is of course the the global and uh and the society movement towards impact and better investing but they also feel some pressure from their own uh, beneficial owners Mm -hmm. which at some point, and especially the young generation, uh, would really like to have at least a part of their portfolio invested into, uh, into this uh, new economy. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the pressure is real. Now, once we've said that, I don't think that greenwashing is a good excuse to completely avoid that field and, um, and stay safe in traditional investment. Uh, greenwashing exists as well, of course, mm -hmm. but it's the investor's responsibility as well to first um, discover this, this whole new regulation 
and understand that at least now they do have the tools in order to perform a proper due diligence, as I said earlier, on investment funds and also on asset managers mm -hmm. they want to work with. Mm -hmm. So at least now this this EU legal framework has led to more transparency and more tools available to investors. So of course, which is great. It's, it's good progress. It's right it's direction. a it's a really good progress. So of course we we cannot avoid um, greenwashing. We we will still have companies surfing on this uh, ESG and impact uh, confusion and. Uh, you will, of course, have companies that companies or investment funds that are not completely um, aligned with their investment objectives. But mm -hmm. again, at least today, investors do have more transparency. And if they want to go this road, they do have the means to, to do it, um, to do it really well. Mm -hmm. They just need to select serious players mm -hmm. and pay attention to reportings, to uh, the whole data available on the investment strategy, mm -hmm. on the portfolio performance as well. Very interesting. So no more of this um, wait and see as an excuse, really. Exactly. I remember two years ago um, when it came to impact, you know, the excuse was, oh, there's not enough impactful uh, funds or investment offerings, um, you know, that that is not the case. The other excuse was a lot, oh, there's no framework. How am I supposed to tell what is truly impactful and what isn't? I'd rather stick to my traditional form of investing and uh, see where I land. So that, it, what you're saying shows really that that's no longer something that I, in my conversation, yeah. can, uh, can sort of say, oh, okay, well, that's fine. But, you know, and I see it as well. I have that to push back. Um, you know, to move this capital towards something more impactful. So exactly. It's, it's interesting to see that. Exactly. And now investors have the opportunity to, to switch from the passive approach where they were just sitting in their comfort zone mm -hmm. um, to a more active approach where the, the, two, the traditional two-dimensional approach of performance and, and risk mm -hmm. can now have a third element which is sustainability and this is something that is really uh, accessible mm -hmm. again it's not perfect it will uh, it will still continue to be improved by the regulators yeah but at least they can now um, really add this this new um, lens mm -hmm. to their investment management and the advantages i see in that is that I mean, you, you can choose between staying again in your comfort zone or just following where the economy is, is leading. And I really believe now that the, the sustainable investment world is something inevitable. Yeah. So you can, uh, you can choose to be ahead of competition. You can choose to really get into it. Yeah. And the more you, you try and, and get information about the, the whole uh, regulatory setup, the, the the competitors, the asset managers which are specialized in this field, yeah. um, the investment funds that really have um, this impact reporting and Article Nine investment objectives. Yeah. The more you are ahead of your competitors, yeah. and the more you are also 
trained at it, meaning that the, the day that you will need to have to, to report to your own end investors, mm -hmm. you will have all the skills as, as an institutional investors, as an institutional investor, sorry, to, um, to provide a clear information and to provide transparency on those um, portfolios and particularly the, the part of the portfolios that are, are aligned with impact investing. That is, that is something I, I really like to hear, um, you know, no more, uh, you know, the, the asset owner also has a certain duty as well. And this, uh, what you mentioned before, the, the going from two dimensional to going three dimensional, I think really speaks for itself for what role sustainability should play in institutional portfolios. And let's face it, um, risk and return, um, very valuable dimensions. Um, but also over the years have become something very easy to measure and, and easy also to control um, with IT and, and big data. Um, you know, the cost point really isn't on um, return and risk. So those additional finances, you know, you shouldn't see it as an extra cost exactly. that now you have to also integrate sustainability. On the contrary, I think um, an institutional investor should ask himself, can I afford not to integrate sustainability going forward? So it's very, very interesting to see that on the regulatory side, that that's also the, the, the goal of regulation. The goal of the regulation isn't or doesn't seem from what you've said to be a, a hindrance or to be a burden on investors, but it is to uh, make the world a better place, tackle some of the main problems and ultimately make sure that the next generation is, is cared for in terms of pensions and, and, and so on. So it was very interesting to see there. The last thing, and I'm mindful of the time a little bit, um, I, I really would like to also kind of find out what concretely um, an institutional investor can do to, I guess, be not be ready. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I doubt that there's ever going to be pressure um, from a regulatory standpoint, but is there certain things that you would recommend mm -hmm. um, to an institutional investor to take care of now rather than? Of course. Yeah. Well, for those uh, investors who would like to see invest investment, impact investing as not only a, a risk-based approach, but as a real opportunity to diversify their portfolios and, and to also answer their end investors' demands, first step would be to develop an, an internal sustainability strategy and guidelines. So this might be done with the help of uh, service providers specialized in impact investing, um, or at least start an internal uh, brainstorming about it on mm -hmm. how they could integrate also a part of uh, impact investing in their portfolio management. Mm -hmm. The second step would be, if they do go that road, to provide more transparency um, and report on their sustainability part of, of the portfolios. And this is something that could answer this pressure that we talked about earlier from, mm -hmm. from their um, clients or their investors. Mm -hmm. The third step would be, of course, to continue and proactively inform themselves about the EU regulation and the Swiss legal framework as well. Mm -hmm. 
and um, then to adopt maybe a systematic voting appro approach in order to uh, engage much more than just uh, investing and to, to be able to vote um, at the level of the underlying companies or the mm -hmm. underlying um, positions or investment mm -hmm. funds. And then finally, they can also, like some of the Swiss institutional investors have already done, they can join um, global initiatives like a Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance or many others. The, the, these are the concrete steps that yeah. are available uh, now to investors. So those are, those are quite a few. I hope all our listeners took out a pen and wrote that down. <laughs> but um, there's definitely, I think, from taking away from that, there's definitely a few things that institutional investors can do and should do, which don't even take that much effort um, and, and can have a very big positive um, outcome in, in the way that they do things. Exactly. Very interesting. So just to, just to conclude on that base, um, Diana, thanks a lot um, for joining us. Uh, it's, been, it's been very informative. I think our listeners enjoyed it. Um, obviously, if there's any questions, um, they can come through me to you. Of course. Um, that's to, to all our listeners. Um, thank you for, for joining us as well. Um, and be around for the, for the next episode. Remember to obviously add us to your, to your weekly podcast rotation. And um, yeah, we'll hope to hear or have you as listeners soon. Thank you very much. My bye -bye. pleasure. Thank you, Dominique. Thanks. Bye-bye.